Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Christ, who is your life. Man, Christ, who is your life. Just say it for me real quick. Christ, who is your life. You say it. Right, just a few simple words. This is found in, in Colossians 3, okay, verse 4. Paul's writing, he's like, he's like, Christ, comma, who is your life? Like, you know the guy we're talking about. Like, Christ, comma, you know the, the guy that your whole life is wrapped around? Christ, who is your life? Man, th- th- he's talking to a church. He's, he's writing a letter to a bunch of Christians, and he's saying, Christ, who is your life? See, this is second nature. This is like, yeah, no doubt about it. Like, this is, this is what happens. You've accepted Christ as your Savior. Yeah, like, your life then is revolving around Christ. Like, this is a no-brainer for, for Paul. He's right. Christ, who is your life? I got a newsflash for you. There is a mighty, strong, gravitational pull towards ourselves. Maybe some of you didn't know that. Now, listen, don't, don't, be, don't be elbowing your spouse now. I'm, I'm talking to all of us, all right? Gravitational pull towards ourselves, okay? Huge. It's all about me, right? Now, listen, this enters the church as well. This enters into our reading of Scripture as well, this gravitational pull towards ourselves. Now, um, Augustine wrote it like this. He said, if you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it is not the Gospel you believe, but yourself. Now listen, I don't want to be responsible for a Gospel that I want to believe in because it just want to end good. But there is a gravitational pull within us all towards ourselves, right? Paul's writing, Christ, who is your life. Meaning, it shouldn't be a gravitational pull towards yourself anymore. You should be wrapping your life around Christ. You see, there's an alternate way to live. There's an alternative way to living selfish and self-focused. Because all that produces is nothing good. The fruit of that is envy, jealousy, anger, slander. I mean, it's just nasty stuff that that produces. And Paul's saying there's an alternative way to live. And that is to having a mind and heart centered on Jesus Christ, the heavenly realms. And so if you read Colossians 3 this week, that's not our text for today, but if if you just write that down so you can read it later this week, Colossians 3, he continues to tease this out, and he says, you know, like, don't lie, put off the old self, put on love, you know, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and do everything, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's just explaining this. Guys, this is what transformation is. And this is the heartbeat of the New Testament, that that we would be transformed. You cannot get around this. You you can't bend it to say something else. I mean, the heartbeat of the New Testament is transformation, that you will come off of your old sinful self, the old Adam, and under the new Adam of Jesus Christ and be made new. Now, if you look up the word on Google, the word transformation, you're just going to see that it is a thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance. 
life of a transformation should be evident. I mean, there should be objective evidence in your life if you're a follower of Christ. Now, don't hear, don't hear that there's a bunch of rules and obligations to live by. In Galatians, God says, it says, God is pleased. I, I think Christians forget this sometimes. Like, even if you follow Christ for a while, you forget this. God is pleased. He is delighted to reveal his son to you. Okay? Like, like God's not angry. God's not mad about this. He is delighted to, to reveal his son to you. And then in Ephesians, it says he is delighted, he is pleased that through the work of his son Jesus Christ to look at you and adopt you and you as sons and daughters as the same status of Jesus Christ himself. So, so listen, God is for this. God is for you. God delights to reveal his son, and then he delights that through his son, he gets to adopt you as a son and daughter. And because of that, when you start to understand that, it makes sense that there will be a marked difference. There will be a marked difference in your life compared to the non-believer. It, it's it, it, it's got to be. It makes complete sense that that's the only way to do it. But however, there's a problem. A.W. Tozer writes it like this in The Pursuit of God. He says, what, this is what we've become to. The whole transaction of religious conversion has been made mechanical and spiritless. Faith may now be exercised without a jar, without a shift to the moral life. Christ may be received without creating any special love for him in the soul of the receiver. The man is saved, but he is not hungry nor thirsty after God. In fact, he is specifically taught to be satisfied and is encouraged to be content with little. And this just isn't right at all. That's not what the church should be producing. Over the next few weeks, you're going to start to hear about things that we're going to offer this fall. Um, I'm working on several different things that we're going to make available to you. And these range from anything from groups to classes to services. And, and you're going to learn about all this in the weeks to come. School gets started. We'll have a big fall launch off. And there's going to be several things because my heart is heavy for the people of God to become the people of God to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. It's the heartbeat of the New Testament. And, and, and I just, I can't get away from it. I, it's, it's gripped me. And I want to help you. I want to serve you because I want you, I, I'm, I'm me, I want to grow. And I want you to grow. And I want you to learn and be compelled by Christ. God is pleased to reveal his son to you. God is pleased to adopt you. God is pleased to have Christ be your life. Friends, Christ, who is your life. Your life should be just going around Christ. Now, this is transformation. This is your thinking and your whole living is being transformed when you get to this place. So what I want to do is I just want to just do one little bitty angle of this gigantic transformation piece. We're just going to look at one one story today to try to start to understand what's a, what's a step that you and I, we both, I'm, I'm in this with you. What step can we take yet even today and this week to start to be transformed? And there's a powerful story in Exodus that we're going to look at today. Uh, 
kind of the whole narrative. And, and, and here's, here's my heart. You're going to get the story. Like, I am confident that God wants you to understand this, and I'm confident you will understand this. And I think you'll be able to get it. You'll be able to sink your teeth into it, and you'll be able to apply it. And Lord, in his great mercy, man, if we, if we apply it, I think great things can be done for our transformation. It's a story that's powerful. Now, when I say Exodus, we're talking about a guy named Moses, okay? Exodus is the second book of the Bible, and the guy comes on the scene named Moses. And many of you are familiar with Moses, or you're at least familiar with the stories of Moses. Some of you might be new, but you might have heard stories about like a burning bush or a, a Red Sea like separating and, you know, going through. You might have heard stories about the Ten Commandments. All these stories, that there's so many of them. They all have this common uh, denominator, and that's Moses. Moses and Exodus is an incredible read, okay? So again, I'm just going to be writing down these scriptures today. You've already got Colossians 3. Just write down the book of Exodus. Just read that this week, okay? Okay. Uh, but there's incredible stories. And what we're going to do today is, I mean, obviously, we can't unpack it all. I would love to, but that would be about a 50-week series, you know what I mean? Which maybe, you know, one day that could happen. Listen, here's the deal. The stories that we will kind of skip over, whatever, all point to this great transformation story. So let's get into it. So I'm just going to kind of tell you this story as a storytelling, so you can kind of just follow along like that. But... There's a burning bush in chapter 3, and that's what it, it, it gets Moses' attention, right? I mean, a burning bush, but yet the bush is not being consumed. So, so this is very fascinating, and Moses is struck by it. And Moses comes to it, you know, because he, he, he heard, heard, heard his name. And he takes off his sandals because, whoa, this is holy. Like, man, this is an incredible experience. It's holy. And, and, and God tells, tells Moses, hey, I want you to be the leader. I want you to go to Pharaoh and set my people free. I mean, I want you to go lead my people to freedom out of slavery. And Moses responds with a pretty humble response. He just says, whoa, 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 who am I? And God answers. He says, wait, my presence will be with you. I, I will go with you. You, you, you just need to go, and, and this will be a sign. You're going to be worshiping on this mountain in no time, you know. God is basically saying, Moses, chill. My presence is enough. My presence will be with you, and because my presence is with you, you'll be a strong spiritual leader, and, and the people will follow you because they know you, and, and they know that I am with you, and it will be clear, and, and you'll lead. Like, like, I'm with you. My presence will be with you. And Moses didn't think that was enough. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, God, I know you made everything. I know you got like this bush burning, but it's not really burning. Like, that's crazy. And you're talking to me out of it. Wow. But God, I've got something that you probably didn't think of. What if they ask what your name is? You didn't think about that, did you? <laughs> I mean, it's like, he, Moses, like, my presence is with you. And yet now you're, okay, you're asking me, like, well, what if they ask you what my name is? So, so, so God answers him. Well, just tell them who I am. I am who I am and, and communicate that. And Moses is like, uh, mm, I still don't know if that's enough. And so Moses decided, you know, presence isn't enough. I need signs. I need wonders. I need sparkly. You know, I need, I need like, 
majestic. I need, I need some, some things that just are, are clear. I need signs. And so God's like, okay, throw your staff down. And Moses throws the staff down, and it becomes a snake. And he runs and screams like a girl, <laughs> like I would do. <laughs> and then he tells Moses to pick up the snake by the tail, which I think is the greatest faith test in the whole Bible. Pick up a snake by a tail. Wow. Okay. So he, but he picks it up, and it becomes a staff again. Whoa, that's pretty cool, right? And then he says, hey, put your hand in your cloak. cloak. Pull it out. Whoa, leprosy. Put it back in. Pull it back out. Whoa, it's healed. Like, this is, this is cool, right? Like, man. He says, hey, go grab a barrel, grab some water in it, and then dump it out on the ground, and it will become blood. Like, man, wow. I don't know if that's enough, though, yet. Well, God, I, I, have a, I have a problem. I don't really have eloquent speech. I can't really, I'm, I'm not a good talker. God says, are you kidding me? Who made the mouth? Who made man? And God is, is going back and forth with Moses. But what we need to understand, what we need to understand, and there's many of us here this morning, we need to understand is Moses simply told God, your presence is not enough. I need signs. I need wonders. I need glittery things. Some of us get into that. We might have this holy experience of being baptized, but then when we start to move on, we're like, wait. I need some signs and wonders, and I need some glittery things. Your presence, God, I mean, what's that mean? That, that's not enough for me. At this point, you might, you might want to write this down. I don't know. Yeah, at this point, this is what's preaching to me. At this point, Moses knows more about God than he knows of God. Okay? Moses, in chapter 3, knows more about God and he knows of God. And I would just like to say that anytime you know more about God than you know of God, you're going to ask for glittery things. And you're going to ask for things. Why? Because there is a gravitational pull in you, and you are scared to death to look like a fool in the world because you now follow Christ. And so now when you only know about God, you're like, man, God, I, I don't know. Me, 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 I'm going out to the world. What, what if the world, anytime you know more about God than you know of God, the gravitational pull is going to be to yourself, and you're going you're, you're to want glittery, and you're going to want things to show up, and you're going to want to keep asking God for things. Now, 33, Exodus 33, there's been a lot that happens between 3 and 33. But we get to Exodus 33, and there's a shift happens, and it's powerful. Moses is in a tent meeting with God, okay? I'm just going to give you a little quick story. That Moses is meeting with God to get the Ten Commandments, okay? But during that, down at camp, Aaron, who is Moses' partner, is down with the Israelites, and they're, they're like impatient. They're like, ooh, we want to worship. We want to worship something Let's make a gold calf and worship it, which is a big no-no. So there's a big mess, and you can read about it. But, but, but the end of it is, is, so Moses now has this meeting with God. And he's like, God, 
don't be angry with us. I don't know what, what the heck happened down there, but we're getting it straightened out. Please, please. And God looks at him and says, okay, you're going to get to go to the land, the, the promised land. Dude, the promised land's got milk and honey. Come on, baby. Like, dude, that is awesome, right? Like, you are being drawn to the promised land. And God says, hey, man, you're going to keep your glittery things, dude. I'm going to send you angels. An angel will take you. You'll probably see some cool glittery things along the way because I know you and your signs and how you want to not look like a fool. But you're going to get to go to a promised land, and you've got an angel going to go with you. But yet Moses has a response. And Moses responds to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. You, you got crazy stuff, though, man. You got an angel. You got promised land coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't care about that stuff. If your presence doesn't go, I'm not interested. I don't want to move without you. Whoa, 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 wait. In chapter 3, the presence of God was not enough. I needed more things. Chapter 33, I don't need anything. The presence of God is everything. This is transformation. This is like, whoa. Like, no, I don't care about that stuff, God. I just want you. So here's what we can say about this statement over here. That now, through these 30 chapters that we just simply can't dive into, a lot happens. And now in chapter 33, Moses knows more of God than he knows about God. And when you know more of God than just about God, you don't desire anything but the presence of God. It's crazy. It's powerful. Moses could have easily, easily been swept away. I mean, seriously, like, glory, hallelujah, baby. I got a burning bush right here calling out my name, telling me to go do things. I start my walk. Dude, plague, locust, boom, frogs, boom, another locust. Oh, hey, Red Sea, yeah, we're strolling up through this, baby. Hey, oh, you want some water in a desert? Kapow, kapow, rock. Water coming out of it. Drink all you want, dude. Come on. Shake what your mama gave you, dude. I am all that. Like, it totally makes sense. Like, Moses would have had every right to just get carried away by it, to be swept away by the things of God. And you and I probably would read that story and be like, well, yeah, it kind of sounds like another Bible story, kind of sounds like another tale of today. We get swept away. By the things of God. But Moses got swept away by the God of these things. And so in all these chapters, he didn't get carried away. He was just like, man, God, this is amazing. And he gets to know the Lord. Friends, listen to this. This is a huge test for you and me today. If you and I put ourselves into this story... We're going to find ourselves somewhere between 3 and 33, probably. Well, we definitely are. Some of you might have said, oh, yeah, dude, I got saved, man. I was baptized. Now I got some business skills. 
my business is going good. I got $50 bills going everywhere. Like, I'm good. And are, you, are you really being swept away by the things of God? My status, we're growing, we're doing great. Are, are you going to be swept away by that? Seriously? Are you going to be swept away by the God of those things? Man, God, your grace and mercy is blowing me away. That's what you're enabling me to do with my business. And, and man, this business, psh, take it or leave it, dude. But I just want more of your presence in my life. What you're doing through me, this is crazy. Just, God, have glory from it. Have glory from it, you know? My family, hey, look at me, our family. We're doing this and this and this. Really? Or, God, thank you so much for this family. I know what you're trying to do. I know what you're trying to create. I know what you're showing us. And I just, I can't thank you enough, God for revealing yourself to me through these things. Listen, listen, you, you are either swept away by the things of God or you're swept away by God of all these things. Moses found himself in chapter 33 saying, man, I've seen all this stuff and I know of God and I'm just saying I don't want to move without you, God. I don't want to move without you. If your presence doesn't go, I'm not going. If your presence goes, I'm going. If you go there, I'm going there. I'm not leaving you. And what Moses did was he started a train, a train of followers of Jesus from that day to even yet today who have that burning desire, who yearn for more of God in their lives and want to pursue. Because what Moses had done was not only was he being revealed by God certain cool things, he was actually saying, man, I know you more, but yet it makes me want to know you even more. You satisfy me, but yet you leave me unsatisfied. I want more. I want more of you. And listen to this. We can just go on through, through, through this, take a little journey, and this is just a little bit of it. <clears throat> Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? This isn't a happy psalm. This is a psalm of oppression. This is a where are you, God, psalm. Some of us are probably there this morning. Where are you, God? But do you hear the tension in that? That it's, I'm not satisfied till I have your presence and know where you're moving. It's not wanting things to shift. It's wanting to know that, God, your presence. I'm hungry for you. More of you. Keeps going. Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. That closeness, that presence, I want to be near. I want that in my life. I want it in yours. Habakkuk says, though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines, no olive crop, and the olive crop fails the fields produce no food. I will be joyful in God my Savior, the sovereign Lord. He is my strength. 
He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on new heights. You understand that, that even I'm looking around, not seeing anything, Lord. Wow, not really seeing anything at all. Everything's failure. But God, in your presence, I will find my joy. And in your presence, man, you make my feet leave earth. It's like my feet become like the feet of a deer, and I am into new heights, and I can look above all my circumstances because I'm focused on who you are, not what is around me. Philippians 3, 8 to 10. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, rubbish, dung, like it is pure trash. I consider it all that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. This is Paul writing this. This is Paul who, who shipwrecked faith and bit by snakes and, and healing people and seeing crazy things happen. And he's the one writing, man, I want to know you. See, it's attention. It's like I know you, but I want to know you more. And now that I know you more, I yearn for more. Man. And this continues through the early first centuries. Our church fathers continue to write. Augustine wrote this. How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me. You who are the true, the sovereign joy. You drove them from me. And you took their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasure. Man. I want that. John Owen writes this, Oh, to behold the glory of Christ. Herein would I live. Herein would I die. Hereon would I dwell in thoughts and affections until all things here below become as dead and deformed things, in no way calling for affectionate embraces. You guys, the story of King David, you guys might know the story of David. He, you know, did the slingshot thing and took down the Goliath giant. Do you know what the first words out of David's mouth was in the Bible? This is always a big deal, like what the first words are of somebody. And, and David, it, it, it came in the story of the, of the giant Goliath. The first words of David's, uh, of, off his lips about the giant were, what's in it for me? gravitational pull towards itself. He asked, hey, what's in it for the guy who knocks off the Philistine? What's in it for me? Because we, we start out so selfish, but yet by Psalm 16, David's writing, apart from you, I have no good thing. And later on in that Psalm, he writes, my joy is simply found in your presence. And in your right hand, you hold all my eternal pleasures. Man, this transformation, this powerful move in the soul, it happens. It happens. It's what God wants. My question <clears throat> is why, <clears throat> why today does this just seem so rare among us? I mean, wh when did we become so dissatisfied with yearning for Christ? When did we become so content with so little? why do all of a sudden we just think like maybe 
a baptism or a salvation event is just kind of like the check mark that's and it's done. Like there's nothing more to pursue. And A.W. Tozer, he, he, he wrote it like this. We have been snared in the coils of a spurious logic which insists that if we have found him, we need no more seek him. He goes on to say complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. I don't want to keep him waiting. I don't want you to keep him waiting. Listen, two truths I want to speak into your life right now is God is not unaware of your situation. God is not unaware of your situation. And God has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten you. He just is waiting to be wanted. He's waiting to be yearned for. It's a sadness that sometimes we just allow such a drop-off of zeal for the Lord to happen in the church. Listen, do you understand the New Testament says it's going to take ages upon ages to reveal all the glorious wonders and all the mysteries of Christ and his kindness to us. It's going to take ages upon ages for all that to be revealed. So it's never like you're going to be like, man, I'm, I'm looking at all the wonders. I'm searching through all the mysteries of Christ and boom, oh, I hit bottom. I'm done. Check. I'm a Christ perfection guy, you know, ask me anything. Like, that's not going to happen, bro. Like, you will not be able to hit bottom of searching the unsearchable riches of God. So that's why God says, pursue me. Like, like, like pursue God. Yearn for him. Long for him. Guys, there is talent in this room. There are so many talents and gifts in you guys. These are spiritual gifts. And I just don't think they're being, being used like they probably could be used. And there are so many things God is wanting to do. And I think as a church, we could be so powerful if we were tapping into this. And I want you to get there. I want to get there. I want us to get there together. There's talent in this room. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And isn't that beautiful? Listen, if there's not freedom in your life, it's because the presence of the Lord isn't going where you want to go. You're blocking yourself. You're saying, man, I want to become this. I want to become this. But if you're not going where the Spirit of the Lord is going, if you're not presence with the Lord, yet. You're blocking yourself, and you're not going to get there. So then you're becoming frustrated that you can't become who you long to be, but yet it's you who's stopping yourself. Man, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And then it goes on. Listen to this. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Listen, unveiled faces means you can see. Like, it's not veiled. It's unveiled. And this is... When God walked past Moses, he covered Moses' face, said, you can't see me. Listen, here it's saying, but we aren't like Moses. We have unveiled faces. We get to see the glory of the Lord, and we get to contemplate on that. And what happens? We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, 
which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Listen, I got to give you some takeaways. What are you going to do with Exodus 33, 15 this week? What are you going to do with the idea that Moses and his transformation got to a place where he said, Lord, if your presence doesn't go, don't send us. If your presence isn't going to be a part of that, don't send me. That's got huge implications for some of us in this room. We know right now, probably even plans already made some this week, that the presence of the Lord, let's be honest, there's no way the presence of the Lord is going there. What are you going to do about that? It's just clear, biblically, what you should do about that. What are you going to do with Exodus 33, 15? Is it going to be a reminder on your phone? Hey, Lord, if you're not there, I'm not going. So then as a reminder. And second thing is Moses was gracious enough to kind of teach us how to pray. Just a couple verses before he says, if your presence doesn't go with us, I don't want to go. He prayed this to God. He said, Lord, teach me your ways so that I may know you. Now, that sounds simple. Teach me your way so that I may know you. But, but listen to the profoundness of this. There's been 30 chapters where he's been learning the ways of God. He's been learning what God's heart is. He's been learning. He's been seeing it firsthand. So, and now he knows God, but yet he's still not satisfied. So he says, teach me another way. Teach me in one of your other ways, God, that I may know you. So the only way you're going to get to know God is if you start to do what he says to do. You say, teach me a way today, God. Just teach me a way. This is, this is simple. Teach me a way today, God, that I may know you. Because until I know you, you can't be irresistible. But once I get to know you, man, it is irresistible. I want more of you and more of you. Simple. Now, here's what's amazing, and I want to encourage you with this, these scriptures, guys. Listen to these scriptures about what God is doing for you to be able to do this. In uh, Deuteronomy, he says this, Now, what I am commanding you to do is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you have to ask, hey, who's going to cross the sea and bring it back to us and proclaim it so we can obey it? Listen, no, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart so that you may obey it. God's just waiting to be wanted by you. He just wants you to yearn. In Acts, we basically read the exact same thing. He says this, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Because he's not far from us. If you just kind of reach out, you'll take a hold of him. For in him we live and move and have our being. And then this is so beautiful. It's the words of Jesus Christ himself. So simple. Listen. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. What will happen? My father will love them. And we, we is the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we will come to them and make our home with them. I just think that's beautiful. We'll make our home with them. But conversely, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And you can finish the formula. We won't come make our home with them. The presence of the Lord, you don't want to move without it. You don't want to go where it's not going. 
the story of uh, Moses became really uh, uh, clear to us um, yet this a uh, couple weeks ago through uh, one of our sons. Um, Stephanie and I uh, got to go a couple weeks ago up to uh, Michigan for a little getaway for an anniversary. That's right, 15, come on, come on. Um, that's right, no. I'm still like, yes, you know, how did I land her? Uh, I mean, I do have some game, but uh, <laughs> hey, no, 15 years old, and we, so we've been wanting to get up there. And so we got to go up there to Michigan and uh, thankful for our parents who will watch our, our kids for us and let us get, get alone. Um, but our, our fourth, he's two years old. His name's Matthias. Uh, when, we, when we drop them off, of course, we're excited to get away. But we're also, uh, like, you know, you always kind of bummed to, to leave them, too. And so we wanted hugs. But now, again, I'm just kind of saying, remember the story of Moses that we just talked about here, okay? And let's just, let's just play this out. Now, when Moses got to the grandparents' house, I'm Moses. When Matthias, <laughs> I always said if we had a dog, I want to name him Moses, but I don't know. Anyhow, Matthias, when we got to the grandparents' house, as you can imagine, glittery things, right? Like the Wonderland, you know, grandparents' house, you know, I'm, I'm here to have fun and woohoo. And it's like, oh, yeah, the presence of mom and dad, mm, yeah, whatever. You know what I mean? I want, I, want, I want some signs, you know. But we go to hug Matthias, two-year-old, bye, and bye. Like, no hugs, like, just bye. Like, you get out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I, I, I mean, I know you're my dad, but whatever, bye. And so we say, no, you're going to hug us, and, you know, we get our love, and then we, uh, we take off. Well, then we uh, come home um, a few days later, and we're home, and we're waiting for the boys to get home. And when Matthias comes out, um, my mom had brought him back, and when he gets out, I mean, it was just nonstop. Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy. I mean, pure elation to see Mommy and Daddy. I mean, I mean pure elation. I mean, so much so that my mom, Stephanie, and me, like, we were overcome, like, overwhelmed with it like it was hilarious I mean it was like he just didn't know what to do with himself he was so excited to see mommy and daddy and he came into the house he started messing with something else because now he's back home it's been a while messing with something else and it's like if he turned around and sees one of us it would like stir it up again mommy daddy mommy daddy mommy daddy mommy daddy he was glad to be back in the presence of mommy and daddy so much so that I went over to the uh, door to put on my sandals to go out to the car and get more of the luggage, right? And so I put my sandals on, and Matthias is across the room, and he catches eye of what I'm doing, and he makes a beeline. No, 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 and comes over to the door where I'm at leans down and starts pulling on my, on my sandals. And so I'm like, okay. I take them off, and, and, and no kidding, true story. He gets those sandals, and he throws them across the room. <laughs> he says, no, no. I don't want to be apart from your presence, Daddy. So what do I do? I just simply get on my knee and say, well, buddy, <laughs> daddy's here with you. Like, you, 
I'm present with you. I'm not leaving you. Friends, if if you've got you've got something in your life right now that you probably need to go home and you need to grab by both of the hands and you need to chuck it out of your life and say, Dad, Father in heaven, I'm done. I, I don't want to move without you. I'm not leaving you. You're not leaving me. If your presence doesn't go, I'm not going. If your presence stays, I'm staying. But I will not move without you. And I can guarantee you, your Father in heaven is going to bend down and tell you, yeah, I'm here. I'm with you. He's just waiting to be wanted. We just got to say, I don't want to move without you.